Remain standing, if you would, as you take your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 9. In moving through this book, we have covered many topics. Our focus as of late has been the priesthood of Jesus Christ. When we are now given a glimpse into uh, uh, the true consideration of the law here. Most view the law in light of rules for life. Uh, however, the preacher here in the book of Hebrews presents the viewpoint of the law in worship. So when we come to the law, there's a worshipful purpose behind it. And so as we look at this this morning, I want you to kind of get in the back of your mind the idea of the law not necessarily just being about rules and regulations, but being worship. Look with me, if you would, here in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read the first 14 verses. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. That's an interesting statement that we want to take note of right there, accomplishing the service of God. But unto the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which we offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Father, we come before you just humbled, humbled to be in your presence. And Father, I pray that this morning, this service that we offer to you, would arise to your nostril a sweet-smelling savor. Help us, Father, to see you. Help us, Father, to see ourselves in light of you. And, Father, help us to see ourselves in light of your Son's sacrifice. We pray that you would watch over this time. Use me as, as you and you only can. And, Father, that I would be spent for the gospel's sake. Father, nothing that would be said today would be my own, but it would simply be echoing your word and the Holy Spirit of God in my heart. Pray these things, Father, in your Son's precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
as we have looked at this uh, book, <clears throat> there's uh, times where as we make our way through the book of Hebrews, maybe there's this rep- uh, repetition that uh, maybe sticks into your mind. Well, we've been talking about the priesthood of Jesus for weeks now. We've been looking at this. Uh, I, I want you to understand the kind of the reason why oftentimes preachers uh, they preach on the same thing week after week when they're going through a book like this. You know, for us, we don't have the knowledge that they would have had during that first century uh, as Jewish Christians back then would have. You know, remember that this was a is basically a sermon in pen form, and it was given to the people pre-70 A.D., so the temple was still in use at that time. The temple sacrifices were still going on. Many of the people that he's writing to would have been part of or at least seen these sacrifices going on, and it would be something to them uh, that is understandable. And so as the writer of Hebrews is putting some of this stuff out, they it, it, it's kind of common knowledge to them, where for us in 2021, it may not necessarily be common knowledge. And so we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand a little bit more of what's taking place and what's being told to us here. And so this is not necessarily a bad thing, though, that we go through this bit by bit, expositing uh, all that we can. We want to have this common knowledge. I remember when we were, uh, when I was young, we had a, uh, a Russian foreign exchange student live with us for a period of time, and uh, uh, it was a uh, an interesting thing that whenever she was there, I had to remember you can't use idioms. You know, when we have these different types of speech that we use here in America, I can remember uh, we were talking about something. I said, oh, that's a piece of cake. She says, piece of cake. What is piece of cake? I'm like, well, a piece of cake is something you eat. Uh, and so my dad had to get involved and help under, help her understand. But when we look at this, it's it's important for us to dig in to understand what's taking place. And so I want to start everything out with the question of simply this, am I serving a living God or am I still wrapped up in dead works? Now, as we get into this, this is what we really kind of want to pause and and examine in our own heart and in our own life to see where we are with this because I'm I'm convinced that today, more so than any other day in history, we are faced with a lot of dead works as opposed to truly serving the living God. There's a lot of dead works going on within churches today. There's a lot of dead works going on proclaiming to be Christianity, but it's not actually serving the living God. And it's important for us to come back to an understanding and focus in on this aspect of uh, of worship in the New Covenant compared to worship in the Old Covenant. It's, It's disheartening sometimes when you look at the statistics today. Generation after generation becomes less and less Christian, but not only Christian, less and less religious of any sort. Generation Z and following are quickly becoming known as the nons because over 60% of Generation Z and younger claim no belief at all. This is not saying that they are atheistic or agnostic or Buddhist or Hindu or anything along those lines. They are saying, I don't believe in it, and I'm not concerned about any of it. I was talking with a funeral director just yesterday. He said that more than half of the funerals today have zero spirituality to them. There's a problem. 
There's a problem when, when people today have nothing that they want to believe in. And, 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 you know, we can do all that we want to as far as blaming the culture, blaming who's in, uh, uh, who's in power, who's in authority. We can blame them all we want. But as I recall reading the word of God, it was not the president of the United States job to be a light to the rest of the world. It was those who claim to be born again by the spirit of God who are salt and light. So where does the blame go? Right here. I'm reminded of G.K. Chesterton responding to a, 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 an editor, a newspaper editor, who said to, that, that he wanted uh, the, a response, an essay written in response to the question of what's wrong with the world today. And he simply responded, my answer, me. We can point the finger all we want. But at the end of the day, you and I, my friend, are the cause. We are the problem. We are the reason God's word is not going forth. We are the reason that people don't see anything of Christ attractive. I was talking with the Sunday school teachers this morning about this very topic when you have a young couple coming into church, and you all know what it's like, before marriage, everything is lovey-dovey, we're all on cloud nine, but then after marriage, about you know six months to a year later, you know she is not the princess you thought she was, and his, his shining armor has some rust. And he's no longer Mr. Uh, Mr. Clean, he's Mr. Clean with a big gut, right? That was me. My wife's like, I always had a thing for Mr. Clean, and I used to have the body of Mr. Clean. <sighs> yeah. She found out this armor had some uh, chinks in it. And so here comes this young couple into church because someone at, at, at work said, come to church, you'll learn how to be a better wife. Come to church, you'll learn how to be a better husband. Come to church, we can help you with this. And then what happens? They come into church looking for answers, looking for help. I'm having a difficult time loving my wife. I'm having a difficult time respecting my husband. And I need someone to show me how. And we walk through the doors and we hear, we hear husbands talking about the old ball and chain. We hear wives talking about their idiot husbands. And we wonder why people seem to think that when they go to church, they ain't getting any help. We're to blame. Come to church, you'll find all the fulfillment you can ever, you can ever imagine. You'll be fulfilled and, and you'll find happiness. And then they come into church and they look around at all the smiling faces. We've got, we've got our, our song team up here trying to lay, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And people in the pews going, praise him all creatures here below. They're fulfilled, ain't they? And so we need to understand what this idea of worship is all about. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 14, because this is kind of where we're going to base our study on this morning. Look at verse number 14. Actually, verse 13 for uh, context sake. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is our springboard for the morning. Now, I find it interesting that this statement is right off the heels of understanding what's going on in the tabernacle, right off the heels of discussing Christ's high priestly office. So let's look at just a few things with this because we need to remember that the Old Covenant sanctuary was a type of something to come that was greater. The Old Testament was to point to what was better coming. And this is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, this is better than that. And so let's look back to that to see why 
this is better. Now, in Cincinnati, you have two types of chili. You have Gold Star Chili, and you have Skyline Chili. And those who love Gold Star, make sure you know it is better than Skyline. And I would not eat at Skyline if my life depended upon it. Those who prefer Skyline Chili over Gold Star, make sure that you understand how horrible of an individual you must be to eat Gold Star and how much, how little you think of yourself to put that in your body. You have the Gold Star Chili and you have the Skyline Chili. Me? I have no idea. I just like hot dogs. And people are like, oh, Gold Star is so much better. No, Skyline is so much better. I'm like, it's just a, it's a cheese coney. It's, it's a hot dog with sauce. It's not chili. Chili's got beans and meat in it, right? This chili, it's just, it's sauce. We call it hot dog sauce where I'm from. I can't tell the difference until you put them side by side. I like them both equally, but I can slightly tell a difference. But I have to put them side by side. Some people will tell me, oh, I know automatically, as soon as I put it in my mouth, I know if it's Skyline or Gold Star, whatever. Some people are like that with Pepsi and Coke. Oh, oh. Some people think, oh, I can't believe you said that word. You got to put them side by side, right? This is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He says, let's examine them and see the difference. I want you to notice the method of old covenant worship. The ninth chapter begins by introducing the order of services, so to speak, for the tabernacle. And the preacher is essentially outlining how they did and what they did. Now, the word I want you to notice here for serve is, you see that there in the verse, uh, verse number 14, from dead works to serve the living God. Many times we get in our minds the idea of a deacon is a servant, and that is true. If you go back into the New Testament, diakonos is the word for a servant. And so a deacon comes in and he serves. This is not the same word. This is a completely different word. It's the, it's the word latreus. This word for latreus is the same word that you'll find if you take your hand and keep it in the book of Hebrews and go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 4. Look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. Now, this is where Jesus goes off into the wilderness, and he is tempted of the devil. And the devil entices him, so to speak, to worship him, the devil. He says, why don't you worship me? Bow down and worship me. And notice Jesus' response in verse number 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Go over now to John chapter number 16. John chapter 16, we're going to see this same word used yet again. And here we have some uh, where Jesus is trying to warn his disciples. Notice what it says, and uh, look at verse number 1 with me. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. Now, John 16, verse 2, they shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh they, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Same word. It's this Latreus word. This word literally can be translated as acts of obeisance or worship. And so when he's talking about serving God, he is talking about doing things out of an act of worship for God, to devote yourself worshipfully, to give something to Him, to offer something to Him, not simply doing something for someone else to get a pat on the back, not simply trying to help someone else along the way, but actually devotedly worshiping. This is an action word. This is something that we are called to do. It says in verse number 14 of Hebrews chapter 9, he says that Christ 
purges our conscience from dead works to serve. This is an interesting concept if you think about it. So many in in Christendom today, we say we hear things said like, "Well, uh, Christ did everything, and you do nothing." Now, pause for a minute. If we're talking about gaining salvation, rock on. Christ did it all. You can't earn it. But you ain't saved to sit. And the last time I was reading in the Corinthian books when it talked about the body of Christ, I never found a hind end. It talked about hands, talked about feet, talked about lips, never talked about the rear end for you to just be the one to sit. That's my job, preacher. I'm the sitter. No. Notice what all was involved in this in chapter number 9. The various items that are mentioned in verses 2 through 5. Look. It says, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is the sanctuary, which is called the sanctuary. This first portion of the tabernacle, it was separated by two different portions. You had the courtyard around it. Within these two different portions, you had the one place, the sanctuary, the holy place. And this is where people could come in. But then there was a second portion separated by a veil. We'll look at that in just a moment. But in this first portion, it, it lets us know that there were several different things found there. First was the candlestick, then the table, and the showbread. The, and, and this is what was called the holy place or the sanctuary. This candlestick uh, was basically, it's a stand for candles, a candelabra or something along those lines. Uh, Israel was to be a light to the world, and this signified them being a light. But not only that, but it was God is their light. He is the one who is guiding them. He is the illumination of everything. And Jesus, when he comes onto the scene in John, he says to them, he says, I am the light of the world. Do you remember that candelabra in the tabernacle? You remember the candlestick? Hello, that's me, he's saying. The next portion that we find in there, the table of showbread, this was to represent God's sustaining presence, and his presence was what sustained the people. His presence is what kept them going. Without him, they could do nothing. With him, they were victorious. So this table of showbread, his people, it was referred to oftentimes as the bread of presence. Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. Now, I want you to note something else. It says in verse number three, and after the second veil, in other words, there was a veil that separated that portion from this next portion, was a tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holiest of holiest of holy, 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 holy places. Ain't no place holier than this on earth. Now, you'll notice there in verse number one, it talks about a worldly sanctuary. In other words, not worldly as we got a lot of, there's a lot of places, there are churches, that they, 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 they're, they're worldly churches, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a tabernacle made of things of this world. Now, when we notice here, he says uh, the two areas being separated from the, by a veil. This veil was woven of earthly material, and this veil spoke to the humanity that would be Christ. When Jesus was crucified, go, go with me to Matthew chapter 27. You'll find this in Matthew chapter number 27. You'll find it in Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 23. Notice Matthew 27. Look at verse number 50 with me. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Pause for just a moment. Don't ever let anybody say they killed him. He gave up his life. If he wanted to stay there for the next 2,000 years, he could have done so. He gave up the ghost. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, 
and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves, and after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, uh, and appeared unto many. Do you see that in verse number 51? The veil of the temple was rent in twain. Right down the middle. When Christ was crucified, he gave up his human life. He laid it down, and the veil was torn. And this opened up access to us into the very presence of the Holy of Holies. Catch that. We now, because of Christ's work, and, and going back to the book of Hebrews, you can even jump ahead a little bit. Let's cheat for just a moment. And a spoiler alert. Look at chapter number 10. Chapter number 10, look at verse 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That veil has been removed. And you, my friend, now can have access to God. I want you to note something else with this because we're going to make our way down through the rest of what we find in the tabernacle here. Look at verse number four. Talking about in the Holy of Holies, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, which we cannot speak particularly. Now, talking about this is where, uh, which had the golden censure. Now, traditionally, in the tabernacle, outside the veil, not in the holy of, holiest of holies, was the, um, was the altar of incense. And from the altar of incense, they would, be, uh, they would take this censure and they would put part of those, those incense coals into the, into the censure and then they were to enter into the Holy of Holies with that, with those uh, uh, incense, those fragrances wafting and coming through. And so some commentators will say, well, that's what it's talking about, that censure that they would take back in there. Others will say that the actual altar of incense now is being brought into the Holy of Holies. I can understand both. But basically what we need to realize is what the whole point of that uh, incense, that altar of incense, the censure, the incense being burnt, was really all about. It was reminiscent or it was a picture of the prayers of the people being taken up to God, and those prayers were being offered to him as the incense arose, a sweet-smelling savor. And so the priest would take their prayers and take their, uh, uh, their petitions in when he offered sacrifice, when he would sprinkle that blood. But my friend, guess what? I don't need a priest to take my prayers to God anymore. I don't need a priest to take my offering to him anymore. I have access. I do. Now, we're getting to a point here, and I want you to see all these different parts. You've got the golden pot of manna found in the Ark of the Covenant. That was a picture of God feeding his children. You can go back into Matthew chapter 5 to the, uh, uh, to the Beatitudes. What, what is it that it's told us? It says, blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness because God's going to fill you. And just like in the Old Testament, the people were hungry during the Exodus, and he brought down manna. This manna was, hey, God's going to feed you. The Word of God, God feeds his children. Jesus said to himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Feast here. This is where we eat. But not only that, you find Aaron's staff that had budded out of a dead branch sprang life. This was foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ. 
But not only do we find that, but then we also find the tables of the covenant. (laughs) You know the beautiful thing about finding the law in the Ark of the Covenant? Here you have this big box. And God had given to the people some rules. They broke them. Right? And so he places them in this box. And he puts over top of that box a golden lid called the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat, whenever they made sacrifice, year after year after year, the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. And when God looked down, he didn't look upon the broken law. He looked upon the mercy seat and saw the blood. When you and I, my friend, have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our life, he no longer looks at you and sees the broken law. He sees his son's blood. Do you see the picture that we're getting here? Buckle up, because it's about to get fun. This is kind of one of those moments you know what it's like when you go to the amusement park. Oh, and you, you stand in line for 48 hours to ride 30 seconds worth. But it's worth it, ain't it? You get on that, you get on that roller coaster, man, and you just finally I am here. And then it starts to rain. But you get in there and you're sitting in there, and you're all strapped up, you're ready to go. You've had the three different people come through and check to make sure it's locked. And then they what do they do? They don't just come by and they tug at it to make sure it's that they go, push it in as deep as they can so you're riding like this the rest of the day right and then they pull on to make sure it's okay and you're finally i'm here that's where we are we're heading up the hill now click 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 the fun's about to start i want you to notice the importance of all this the importance is found that real worship will draw us into God's presence. All that they had to do in the Old Testament, all the different ceremony, all the different rituals, all the different practices that they did, they had a purpose in mind. There was a reason that they did all of this, and the reason was so that they could actually worship God. They were not able to bring their sacrifices to God unless they went through these things. And so the desire was, I want to show God my appreciation. I want to worship God. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to approach God. but I cannot do it because of all my sin. And so I have to move my way through these different scenarios, through these different rituals. I have to go to the specific person that can take the specific sacrifice and done the specific way, sprinkle it before the specific place. They had to go through all this stuff so that they could approach him. The point was never the rules and regulations. The point was approaching him. And that was the desire, that should have been the desire of the people. And so as they made their way, this was the whole point of all these different acts of service. The priests did all this service so we could worship. Go to 14 again, please. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Worship does not only happen at church, my friend. Nor do we have to have some special words that we have to sing or say in order to worship. This is all part of, of it. Please don't misunderstand me. And actually, the writer of Hebrews gets into this as we go a little bit further. When he talks about forsaking not, he covers that. But he wants us to get a good idea of the whole point of it to begin with. 
It's not a matter anymore of where I am or how I go about it. My friend, if where you are dictates how you can worship, if what you do dictates your worship, you have missed the point of worship. You cannot have it based solely on where you are around you, what, to, what, what you're doing, if you're holding the left leg up, if you're holding the right leg up, if you're raising your right hand, if you're crossing your eyes, dotting your T's. I'm my friend, it doesn't matter if you sit in a chair or you're sitting in a pew. If you're in Ohio, you're in Pennsylvania. It don't matter because you can worship God at any time and any place. And those who have truly been born again by the Spirit of God ought to worship Him every moment of every day in every aspect of their life. I'm not going to fight about whether or not I should go to church. That's just another day in the life of someone who truly is worshiping with every part of their body. I can worship him when I plan my schedule. I can worship him in how I act and react with my wife. I can worship him in how I parent my children. I can worship God in my work ethic. I can worship God in, you fill in the blank. You can worship God there too. It's, it's not a matter of, oh, I've got to give this up. I got to do. No, 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 no. Here's the question. Quit asking me, do I have to or do I have to give up or can I still? Quit asking that. Let me ask it this way. Can you worship God in doing that? <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm not going to try to start a fight. So please just bear with me for a moment. I know some people, they say, this is perfectly fine. Other people say, you're going to hell if you do it. But dancing. (gasps) Oh, my goodness, he mentioned dancing in church. Okay, now stop for just a minute, all right? David said, don't talk to me about that. I will play before the Lord. Okay. The Bible says to worship him in that. I remember asking my dad one time, I wanted to go to this dance with some friends so bad. And I said, Dad, can I go? And he says, I'll tell you what, that's fine if you want to go. He says, I'll go with you. And you ask everybody if you can pray before the dance that everything would be done to his honor and glory, you can go. Like, are you nuts? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's called social suicide right there, buddy. You want me to do? The point was made. Go ahead, if you can worship him in the process. Teenagers are going to be having conversations with mom and dad. I said, we ain't going back there. Look at the practical application of all this. I want you to notice the outcome of Christ's work in reference to, to the tabernacle and the priests here. The priests perform daily activities in order to approach God. But Jesus offers once, look at verse 12, either by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, catch that, eternal redemption for us. So many get redemption wrong. Can I give you this one? I, I want you to notice this. And if, you got, if you're taking notes, write this one down verbatim, please. Redemption does not free me from serving. It frees me to serve a living God. Here's what we see. Redeemed. I'm redeemed. I don't have to do anything anymore. Stop. Stop. No, I have been redeemed from dead works. My conscience has been purged from having to do dead works. Now I am free to worship him with everything. I am not free from serving him. I am free to serve him. 
This is where the born-again believer, the person who claims to be a born-again child of God, the one who has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them, the one who calls Christ their heavenly Savior. This is the opportunity that you and I get, my friend. We can serve God. When I married that girl over there, There are things that I get and nobody else gets. Mine. And when I said, I do, and she said, I do too, we have a relationship that affords me privileges and affords her rights I didn't have before. And for me to try to take those rights was stealing. It was theft. When Christ saves us and His blood is applied to our life, we have the ability now to approach God we didn't have before. And to try to get in there any other way is theft. I want you to notice something else here. The problem, because of all this, we had to be redeemed. The problem was the ability to have this personal relationship with God. He's so perfect. Even the littlest sin kept us from him. But now our requirements have been met. And so verse 14 says, He purged your conscience from those dead works to do something. Not to sit around and just be consumers. Why do we call church a church service? You ever thought about that? When's the last time your boss at the workplace said, hey, guys, we're going to have a service in the meeting room. Meet us there in five minutes. No, they say we're going to have a meeting. You go to conferences, you go to, right? But at church, we call it a church service. Now, there's a, there's a big popularity. We don't have worship services. We have worship experiences. You know why we call it a service? It's because when I come to lift my voice to him, to hear his word proclaimed, I am doing something for him. I am taking myself out of my busy schedule. I am moving that aside. I am offering a sacrifice. God, I'm taking this moment. I'm giving it to you to inspect me. And and how how many times have you said, well, uh, I didn't get anything from the service today. Didn't get anything. Probably shouldn't have shown up. How much did you put into it? Well, uh, Pastor, uh, I'm not the one that does the study, and you are. Why not? I'm going to go ahead and let you know now. I'm going to spend two more weeks in Hebrews chapter 9. Between now and next week, and then between that week and the following week, you can do a little bit of study in Hebrews chapter 9. And as you study Hebrews chapter 9, you're going to show up on Sunday morning, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to sit there with your Bible open. You're going to go, I wonder why he didn't say this. I wonder if he noticed this. When I was reading, I noticed this. I wonder if he caught this. Well, if you want me to do all that, that's fine. We're going to be here for four hours. But if you, you're going to be sitting there, and then you're going, oh, I didn't notice that. Wow, I didn't see that connection, but I did see this. I wonder if he saw that. And it's going to make it come alive to you. You want to know why we don't get anything when we go to church? Because, look, this ain't Burger King your way right away. This is church. And we show up to offer something. But showing up just to get, 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 get. Show up to give, 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 give. Take what we read on Sunday morning, what we study on Sunday morning, go home and try to prove me wrong. Go home and study the Word of God yourself. If you are not getting anything, perhaps it's because you're not putting anything to the service. When's the last time someone said, hey, would you like to come do some volunteer service? And you thought, well, that'll be fun. I'm going to go serve. 
and you wondered why nobody was waiting on your table. Kind of like going to a restaurant and the server comes to you and says, you know, I could use something to eat. What are you going to get me? Probably not going back to that restaurant anytime soon, are you? When we come to a service, we need to put a little bit of effort in. Let's conclude this so that y'all can go home and have roast preacher for dinner. Let me ask you, are you attempting to appease your conscience with dead work? How do I know, Pastor? Is church a chore to you? Did you come here this morning going, ugh, why they got to have it at 11 o'clock? Why couldn't they have it at like 5 so I can do everything else all day long? Ugh. Come on, guys, let's go. It's time to get to church. If we don't show up, people are going to talk about us. And then we get in here, and the song team, the music team, they get up, and we got the music playing, and we've got the song singing, and we stand up and go, not this one again. Oh, I've heard this song too many times. Oh, why don't they ever sing this one? I like these kind of songs. I want this song instead. Why don't, oh, why'd you come? Dead works. Oh, I better, you know, pastor said something about, well, the deacons talked about this upcoming event or this missionary. I guess I could better go put something in the offering box because if I don't put something in the offering box, I'm probably going to be in trouble. Dead works. <laughs> Preacher friend of my dad's one time, it was uh, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas service, and of course the place is packed, right? And he ended the service this way, Preacher. I don't know if I'll ever do this. I hope I don't because I don't think it was very smart. But he said, I'm going to go ahead and say Happy New Year because I won't see you until Easter. dead works just showing up to ease your conscience I haven't been to church for a while I haven't done this for a while I haven't put any money in the offering for a while I haven't dead works trying to appease your conscience is salvation all about you I looked it up this week I, I googled I googled why be a Christian? You know, the majority of the responses was all about the benefits of Christianity. You want to know why be a Christian? Look at verse 15. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Understand something, my friend. He is worthy. Why be a child of God? Because I'd rather be the red-headed stepchild to God than the treasured child of Satan and this world. I just come to learn about the blessings, preacher. Tell me how I can have a better life now. Last, do you desire to serve, truly serve God? If so, then what are you doing day after day to be more like Christ? What are you giving up day after day? What are you rearranging day after day, moment after moment? Are you giving him 15 minutes a morning? Are you a latte Christian? I got my, I got my daily bread and my cup of coffee. I put my 15 minutes in, preacher. Or are you going all day long as much as you possibly can, worshiping Him? Do you truly desire to serve a living God?
please don't misunderstand me. This is not meant to be a a beat up session. My hope is that every single one of us would see places in our life that need change. But it's not enough to see the need for change. It's time for us to put some feet and action. We can show up on Sunday morning, wave a hanky and raise a holy hand. But are we really worshiping? You want to know the best way to know if you're really worshiping? Those things that God reveals to you that need changed in your life. How quick are you to respond? I'll take care of it in the car on the way home. Not real quick. Uh, You know, I'm going to spend some time on it this week. Kind of like the guy that says, I'll stop procrastinating tomorrow. No. You want to worship him? Do something. When he says this needs to change, do something. When he says stop acting like this, do something. When he says forgive this individual, do something. When he says, husbands, love your wife, do something. When he says, wives, reverence your husbands, do something. When he says, kids, honor your father and your mother, do something. When he says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, do something. That's worship. But I sing. Praise the Lord. But are you worshiping? There's a difference. You were saved to serve, not to sit, not to consume, not to remain, but to serve. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word and ingrain it into our heart. Help us, God, to see ourselves clearly through your eyes. But help us, Father, to have a hunger and a desire to serve you. We pray these things, Father, in your Son's name and for His sake. Amen.